Hello and welcome. This is Mev from Gaia Kosovo, and you are listening to the third episode from our Reflection podcast series. Today we will be talking about peace with our guest Goran Božičević, a peace teacher from Croatia who was one of the founders of volunteer project Pakrac in 1993 and also co-founder of Center for Peace Studies in Zagreb in 1997, where he still teaches. He is the author of two books on peace building and, since 2002, the director of Miramida Centar Regional Peace Building Exchange. He has worked with divided communities all across the post-Yugoslav region since 1996. And today, he is here with us to share about his experience with peace building in the Balkans. Hello, Goran. Thank you for joining our third Reflection podcast. We're really happy to have you with us. Uh, we heard about you through friends. I actually was also reading, trying to read a couple of your articles with the translation of Google. And my interest and curiosity increased even more. So thank you for joining us. Thank you for inviting me. I also heard good things about Gaia Kosovo. And I'm very happy uh, to be connected uh, even online uh, now mm. with you. Yes. The topic or the title of this podcast and what we wanted to discuss with you is peace building and reconciliation in the Balkans. And you have quite a long experience in the field of peace building or working towards peace building. And I even, this article that I mentioned, I think it was one from this year titled Building Peace is a Dirty Job. And there's one part where you talked about the concept of peace building and what it is. So we wanted to open this discussion with asking you the question, what is peace building? And also how has this, the concept of peace building changed for you through the years while you were working? Yeah, it is a good question to start. Uh, and let me start with the anecdote. Uh, I was doing a training. I was part of the team uh, uh, five, six years ago in Sweden. Uh, training for quite high level of UN and uh, OSCE uh, stuff. Uh, therefore, a week on the topic of reconciliation generally, but on Balkans particularly. And in the middle of training, we got visitor from New York, Commission for Peace Building, actually, yes, of United Nations. And, uh, and she spoke with us and uh, at the evening after sessions, and she was completely depressed and she says, we have no idea what is peace building. Mm. And my first reaction was, well, if you have no idea, I will come to you. I will explain it to you. So, so like, I just couldn't, couldn't understand her problems. And to be honest, yes, could be two approaches. One is, let's say, mine approach that is quite easy to know what is peace building. And let's say it's every action or anything which could help us move from the ceasefire, uh, from the stopping of uh, violent activities in direction of reconciliation. And I define reconciliation is the uh, situation or state of society 
where there is no fear that violent conflicts uh, will be repeated. Mm -hmm. So it's quite a journey. So for me, if you ask me what is peace building, whatever you do and help us move from the violence which our society or your society or any society experienced toward the period where no one will fear that it will be again that is peace building. Mm-hmm. It's a bit more complex than that, particularly for big organizations who are very complex and they like to know, like, are they doing peace building or they are doing a kind of peacekeeping, which means maintaining mm-hmm. a ceasefire or they may be involved in some kind of peacemaking, which means that not even ceasefire is stable. Uh, for me, a nice definition of peace building is probably of John Paul Lederach, which means uh, building nonviolent social fabric. Mm-hmm. And social fabric is kind of sociological term. So let's say building a relationship uh, between people and uh, building institutions around us Uh, and all our environment uh, in a way that we really strengthen uh, non-violent dimension of that. And that uh, that helps us uh, to deal with the past, which is dark, which is violent, to deal with the present and to enhance possibilities for reconciliation. Mm -hmm. So once again, it it sounds a bit more kind of scientific or complex, uh, but I would say this building is really dealing with the roots of the conflict. Uh, mm-hmm. Often teachers ask me, uh, is that uh, what we do in school, uh, peace building, or is it peace activity? And uh, I use sometimes to make difference between humanitarian uh, acts and peace building. So my, my simple and not really fully correct uh, uh, distinction is that humanitarian aspects are dealing with consequences of the war. Let's say if we are talking about Kosovo, and if someone is helping people who really suffered uh, uh, during violent uh, uh, wars and, and conflicts uh, in your country, I would say it has a lot of humanitarian aspect. But the real question is, is helping those people, these people and victims, is it helping us prevent the next uh, violent conflict? If we can give answer, yes, it is helping, because it's not just giving them food and clothes. It's much more than that. It's really sending message to society that we care about victims. It's really involving uh, different institutions and building society who is aware that violence is bad. Then it is prevention of the next, uh, let's say, potential conflict. And it is peace building. Mm-hmm. And then, then coming to your question, how its notion changed uh, through years, it changed a lot, actually. Uh, peace building is mentioned first time in '92 in Butros Butros Gali, which was UN secretary in that time, Agenda for Peace. And now it's, in a way, quite developed field, let's say. You said that it was mentioned in '92? Two, yes. Yeah. So it's 28, 28 years. So we can talk, is, is it a small period or big period? And I would say any answer is really subjective. Uh, and uh, I could accept uh, any of that. But uh, the truth is, and that is good news maybe for any of us who is maybe uh, frustrated uh, with situation around us or in globe, 
that uh, this planet at the moment is really investing much more in organized prevention of wars and organized building peace than it had uh, ever uh, been done in the past. Uh, another thing is that we are not satisfied with that, that actually military actions are much bigger, much more expensive, etc. But uh, at least that part of, of investing in peace is now a part of our institutional environment, part of our language, and part of organized efforts. So if anyone from, from your listeners or whoever wants to do something for peace on any part of the globe or in his or her community, and there are ways, there is knowledge now, and there are possibilities for that. So we are moving forward, let's say. It's definitely not a easy process, I guess, and there are many components to it. I can mention now, now you remind me, I can mention a very important so-called open letter to peace building, builders, mm-hmm. which is, I think, from 2008, uh, from Simon Fisher and Lada Zimina. Uh, he is from UK, Quaker, and she's a, a teacher, professor from Afghanistan. Uh, it was for me one of the, the most important, uh, let's say, call to peace builders saying, let's stop for the moment. Uh, do we know what we are doing? And actually, in their uh, article or letter, they asked peace builders to stop for a year and do nothing. And they said, like, we need to reflect. Is, are we really building peace? Uh, one of their theses is if we don't do anything for a year, uh, probably nothing will change. Uh, so we are not sure that our work is really contributing. It was provocative, but I agree a lot with them. Uh, so I would say the main message maybe today from me and whenever I teach uh, to my students or at workshops, I say we need to keep asking ourselves whenever we do any kind of peace action, is it really uh, preventing violence? Is it really preventing discrimination, injustice? Is it helping weak ones, discriminated ones, marginalized uh, ones? And also uh, one of the key questions is uh, how it is upsetting uh, the powerful ones. Uh, And I say upsetting maybe by purpose because uh, if our peace activities are not upsetting anyone on uh, power, then we are probably not doing uh, a right thing. So we can see actions and protests around the world where people are protesting and being arrested and being uh, attacked by police forces or whatever. It is not that anyone is necessarily evil. It is just that uh, it's challenging our structures around us, our structure of violence and cultural violence. And we need in our peace building, we need to challenge uh, things which are not good, which are bad, which are maybe old-fashioned. We need to challenge patriarchy around us. We need to to challenge poverty. We need to challenge uh, distribution of the wealth, uh, spending public money, all these kind of things. So there are people in power and people who come and do things or there are people who are working towards peace building and one part that cannot be ignored are the ones who are uh, the, usually the local communities, the ones that are undergoing or have gone through conflict or war or atrocities and now there comes peace building. And you co-founded 
you were one of the co-founders for volunteer project Pakrat in 1993. Yes. So can you tell us how is it to, to begin it, to start it? Yeah, how was it when you launched uh, the idea? And maybe I will also connect it with my other question of the local community. How is it for them when there is someone from the outside coming there? They are very connected questions. Actually, this is the one question. How someone is entering local community or how someone is starting peace building in local community? And that was a big issue for us in the 93. Even I say we, it was anti-war campaign Croatia, a network of peace organizations in Croatia. We were approached by United Nations and they said we would like to do some they call it social reconstruction, they didn't call it uh, yet peace building, in uh, so-called United Nations protected area sector west, which means something like 100 kilometers east from the Zagreb, around the town of Pakrats. And they said, like, we need local partners, would you like to join us? And we said, yes, we would like. But then the real question is, what are we going to do? And uh, we knew that we want to do something for peace, something in direction of reconciliation. For us, it was quite clear that we cannot come to destroyed town among people who are very traumatized from the war, and then started telling them that peace is important. And when we came to that town, uh, which was really destroyed, officially 75%, and cut in half by ceasefire lines, so we couldn't cross from so-called Croatian side to so-called Serbian side, and there were minefields in between, uh, we realized even more that uh, someone cannot come just to that uh, place to similar, any place like that, and start preaching about peace. A big issue was for us how to come. And then a friend of mine, Vesna Tershelic, who was coordinator of anti-war campaign, said, like, maybe you can go there with our friend, peace activist Eric Bachman uh, from United States and stay for a week. As I was young in that time, I said, like, stay for a week and doing what? And she said, just seeing what the situation is, meeting people. And uh, now I know what I would do, but in this time, well, what does it mean to think for a week in unknown town and meeting people there to meet them? How? So th there were all the big questions, and I like to raise them because we didn't have uh, any knowledge, we didn't have any sources to relate, um, any books or anything uh, we could we could start. We simply had our. Uh, feeling that it's not right uh, to to come to that area and then saying, hey, we are for peace, uh, uh, because people cannot hear that. Actually, they could feel even insulted. They say, yeah, we are for peace all the time, but there was a war. Do you understand it? And then some cut uh, uh, very experienced and uh, in a way famous uh, now um, Dutch activist who was already in Croatia, he said like, why not to bring international volunteers? And we said, to do what? And he said, reconstruction, physical reconstruction. And then we said, but we are peace organization. I mean, kind of, we don't know building things. And he said, it's not about building, it is about being with people, living with them, sharing the lack of food, sharing the lack of electricity, sharing the fear of the shooting overnight with them, just listening them. And then we said, 
but who would like to come? Because it's in a way it is dangerous here. And he said, like, we'll see, but let's bring people uh, to come there. And we said, like, but it will take five, six months uh, to bring them. And he said, no, I can do it in five weeks. And we were almost laughing to him, not really laughing, but saying, Wam, you are crazy. Luckily, he was crazy. And I think it's important in our work to be different than so-called rational or so-called normal, to be brave enough to think differently. And uh, we had in five weeks time, we had first group of international volunteers beginning of July, they came. We were sleeping in sleeping bags in two classrooms without windows in former school and started working on physical reconstruction every morning with locals. And I would say that is very important. Any peace work, if or whenever is connected with some kind of physical activities, is really helping much more than any kind of workshop or education. I'm peace educator, so I'm not against workshops. I'm just saying that living with people, being in their natural environment, uh, is really building the best uh, and most needed bridges. And in that time, uh, we knew that uh, only there was experience from 74 or, or a bit later uh, in Cyprus. But uh, whatever we found articles about it was not helpful to us. And we slowly started. We approached after several months colleagues uh, in Belgrade Center for Anti-War Action. Uh, we met them first in Vienna at UN and then keep meeting them in Mohac in Hungary because we couldn't meet in the town of Pakrac or very, very rarely in UN area between two lines or borders. It was pioneering peace building project, but we had no idea about it. Uh, we started to have idea when uh, people and professors and researchers from around the world started visiting us and telling us that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say the one of the key question then and now is if, let's say I'm coming or you are coming or whoever, to some town which suffered war, either in Syria, Afghanistan, uh, Yemen, whenever, we need to respect the pain uh, of the people and situation there. It doesn't mean that we need to agree with them in everything. It simply means like I'm privileged enough uh, to have opportunity to choose to come there and basically they live there and I like to, to respect that. And basically that, that lack of funding we had and lack of, let's say, comfort and simply having shower once a week in five kilometers away spa of Lipik helped us a lot to build the trust there in that uh, community. What is the volunteering project Pakrat's uh, working on now if they started with very physical activities? and We started in uh, 93 with physical activities, but very soon, in, in maybe a few weeks, uh, we started children's activities, uh, work with women. I think particularly work uh, with women is important in, in such areas uh, because of many reasons. One reason is really that uh, women, in my experience of 27 years, uh, are really ones who contribute the most uh, to peace building. That women are much more, I'm generalizing and I, and I don't like it, but actually I'm doing that by purpose at the moment. I'm much more in, in building uh, communications building trust, much more relaxed in, in approaching uh, sensitive issues or whatever, 
but there is also that, that uh, much, uh, let's say, very serious issue of structural patriarchal, uh, uh, even capitalism and militarism, which are all connected, uh, which give us message from our childhood that men uh, should go to war and fight and women should stay at home and take care about children. Uh, maybe it worked 2,000 years ago, or, or, or I don't know, 2,000 years ago. I don't know. I'm, I'm not historian, and I, I would leave it to someone else. Uh, mm. But I would say it doesn't work now. Uh, we need to uh, really full dimension of respecting and protecting and promoting human rights, universal human rights, and uh, basically working with women, empowering them, was in a way the, our most not important, but the most successful part. So when we, when we, after two months of being there, we crossed the line uh, only once in first month uh, to Serbian side. And after six months, we started more organized work on, on that Serbian side. And we met women, local women, and asked them. We said, like, we are going to start crossing the line from next week. What do you say? And they were very not happy and very emotional. And they said, like, we were betrayed uh, several times. First time when our neighbors left us. Second time uh, when UN came and uh, we saw that they are not really helping us. And uh, in meantime, also Croatian authorities were giving promises and not really helping us. And uh, now you are coming and we accepted you as friends uh, and we love you. And now you are telling us you are going to cross the line and go to work with enemies. It's not easy for us. Uh, and it lasted maybe for maybe one hour. Uh, very honest discussion in a group of maybe 20 people, maybe four of us from volunteer project and maybe 15 women or something. Uh, we worked with them uh, together on the working sites. But slowly uh, they, they shifted. Uh, we were not convincing them in anything. Uh, but they shifted into, uh, we knew from beginning that you want to work on both sides. You are peace project, we know that. You are not, you are not reconstruction project. Uh, and uh, go, go there. Uh, please don't be angry on us that it's not easy for us, but we see the value of you working uh, uh, on both sides. And that's your task, that's your mission, and it's important. And yeah, just keep doing that. So in a way, we... Through, through that discussion, we got most important informal license, uh, uh, informal, uh, let's say, green light that uh, we can go and work on both sides. So what I'm saying is whenever insensitive areas or communities, uh, we are doing something which could really upset someone who is really, let's say, I don't like the, the word ordinary people, but our neighbors or just uh, people with families uh, and people who live there, uh, let's give them a chance to, to talk about it or, or open space for communication. That is peace building. Because we could simply cross the line and don't care about their opinion. We, we were building then computer workshops and uh, many other activities. But actually, it was raising awareness of differences between people. We had many nations there, many cultures present, and also breaking the image of the enemy that on the other side are only the bad ones. Uh, we, we brought many letters across the line, uh, and that was particularly powerful. Project lasted four years, 
out of the project came Center for Peace Studies and some other organizations. But to be honest, that project is also one of the rare projects who had exact time of finishing. Mm -hmm. I was involved in closing it at the end of February 97, uh, when really the project lost purpose. It was time uh, that internationals uh, were not really needed anymore. And that basically responsibility for development uh, in community needed to completely be left uh, to the local people. It's also important to know when your work is done, when you need to leave. Yes. Because we had money and we could continue that. And to be honest, you know, asking money from a destroyed town and asking money from the capital is not uh, the same. It was much more attractive for us in terms of fundraising but we simply felt it's not right to do. And then we closed the project and we moved uh, another one project, which I was involved in, uh, Miramida Center. We moved to Zagreb and we started Center for Peace Studies in next month in Zagreb, which was more like uh, institution devoted to education and other things. You mentioned the connection between peace building and reconciliation at the beginning. And maybe you know that in Kosovo now they're preparing or establishing the ground for creation of a truth commission. I was in, in the last public consultation that they had and there, there was a raised concern about how do we achieve reconciliation. And also something that you mentioned that like people need to be heard, they need to talk and in, in Kosovo, since I live here, there, like, I think there's also a lot of build-up anger inside of people because they didn't have the space to talk about it and to express it. How do we achieve reconciliation, especially if we are not facing what happened to us? These are big questions and important questions, and I could speak for hours, but let me try to, to do it in a few minutes. Raising questions are maybe key at the beginning. Whoever starts with answers, whoever knows exactly what needs to be done in Kosovo this very moment, I would say is probably not doing it well. So all the time we need to raise questions around us and reflect on that. My approach to reconciliation, and I was doing that in my research for United Nations, which was mapping the reconciliation efforts on Balkans. And I was covering Croatia, but also Kosovo was included and many other countries in our neighborhood. Is a building society where reconciliation is possible? I'm actually, in my book, uh, Dialogue Building, uh, which is on Croatian, and this year actually was translated to Ukraine, Ukrainian uh, language also. Uh, and published there. It is, instead of all the time uh, talking about, uh, let's say, the most difficult things, it is uh, about, uh, let's say, between, you know, on Kosovo, between Serbs and between uh, Kosovars, Albanians, and uh, about atrocities and the sensitive things, that is needed, but that is not the core. The core, in my opinion, and I'm just uh, explaining my approach, is building our environment where we trust institutions when schools are not closed, full of nationalism and full of teachers who are either afraid, either underpaid or, or not competent, but are rather helping our children to grow into responsible citizens. 
So it is about nurturing culture, all kind of culture, uh, not only national traditional, which is important. I'm not, uh, I'm not saying it isn't, but uh, culture brought by young people, by artists, by artists uh, who are maybe weird in their communities. Uh, but, uh, you know, <laughs> every important uh, uh, artist from uh, history was not really understood during his or her life. I would say we need to ask ourselves, and it's not easy, I would say, but at least some of us can do it. How close-minded uh, am I? I was just last week uh, in Maliloshin uh, Festival of Documentary, uh, and there was one documentary about Marcel Duchamp, uh, one, one extraordinary artist. And just watching ten, that movie, I was asking myself all the time, am I too conventional? Am I too much following the, the rules or following uh, the paths that someone else put in front of me? So I would say reconciliation needs many ways. I would say it needs all levels of society. It is tough process. And I come back and always repeat that golden rule from conflict transformation, be tough on issue, but soft with person. So I would say it takes time, but I learned also from friend Roberta Bacic from Chile. Uh, she told us expression that uh, time heals uh, wounds uh, is not correct. And uh, I said, like, how is not correct? I mean, all my childhood, I was told it's, it's a very known statement, you know, that we need simply time to pass. And after certain time, maybe 20, 50 years, everything will be fine. And she said, no, it will not be. And I was confused. She said, time kills nothing. Actions in time, they do heal. So whatever small thing we do every day, every week, every month, it builds something, it helps. But if I'm doing nothing for one year, I cannot expect that my neighbors or whoever else will simply move forward in one year or that uh, my community needs to move forward. So I would encourage anyone who listens this, just do simple things. Just say hello to, to your neighbor you were not saying hello before, or shift to asking, how are you? Or ask someone like, I would like to have coffee with you. Maybe not now, maybe next month. I simply want you to know that I would like to have coffee and that maybe we can talk about some things. So I would say, uh, creating these safe spaces where people could expose themselves and uh, not feeling endangered are important. Uh, I keep repeating that we are not afraid of the others. I would say we are afraid of our people and basically of myself. Uh, because if I start challenge myself, then I will find out that maybe 10 years ago I did some wrong decisions and I need strength to deal with that. And uh, maybe I can finish uh, at this moment with statement I heard from one Serb who, who was on Croatian, living on Croatian part of the Pakras town. Uh, he said, like, I'm walking on the street and I meet my neighbor, Croat, and he greets me. And yes, I greet him. And I keep walking on the street and I meet another neighbor, Croat, and he greets me also. And I greet him. Yes, of course, why not? But then I meet them together, and then they do not greet me. 
And that's the problem in our societies. I keep witnessing all over the Balkans or Ukraine or Albania or whenever I was working that people are much more nice to each other in individual settings and open and ready to talk about uh, emotional things and difficult things. But then when we come to public space, then we start behaving on the way we assume we are expected to behave. Let's say I'm Croat in Croatia, so I can be nice to you and and saying like, oh, I really like to cooperate with, I don't know, Gaia, with Kosovo people, you know, it's like, it's really privileged to me and everything. Then we come to public space and then I, I, I play another role. I play like, yeah, you from Kosovo, you must understand that you are not in European Union and we are in European Union and the differences, so it takes time, you know, completely another story. So I'm just saying, uh, let's fight that kind of hypocrisy in our societies. Why not to be in public space what we are in our private spaces? And uh, let's not be afraid of reactions of others and just make small steps, but small steps uh, towards the problem, towards the other people. I live in Mitrovica and it's related to the work that I do. And it's so, even personally, I'm curious to hear and being of a younger generation and someone who has not experienced the war in Kosovo or all what's been going on in the 90s in the Balkans, it's, it, this is important to hear, I think. Saying this, I will move to the last question and I will again relate to your article building pieces a dirty job towards the end. Uh, I like that you said no one will save us and that peace building as courage and it's a victory over our own fears so it's what you mentioned even mm -hmm. now and i want to go to this wider balkan context like in your opinion where are we at with peace building in the balkans like are we failing completely or is it working or not like a little overview I, I just wrote a few weeks ago article on forum uh, uh, ZFD uh, portal article, uh, which is kind of my personal overview with the uh, with the title "Avistak Avistak in Peace Building," uh, and actually my response is that we are not stuck. That maybe some of us are maybe too much used on conventional ways, and maybe we are losing. Uh, ability to see where changes are happening and changes are happening all the time and people are much more smarter than we are ready to or able to see if you ask me uh, where is peace building at the moment in our region uh, my first response would be among artists artists are doing the best peace building in our region uh, i heard many good uh, stories about uh, town and festival in uh, Please correct me if I'm wrong, because I never was in that beautiful town. Is it Prizren uh, on Kosovo Documentary Film Festival? Uh -huh, DocuFest. Yes, yes. On Kosovo, there are amazing artists, and I met some of them in different occasions. All over the region, people are doing now. In Serbia, there is a theater play on Srebrenica, which basically is uh, under, uh, uh, let's say, oppression or suppression by regime at the moment. Artists uh, are very vital, key, powerful, sharp knife through all the, 
let's say, chains. Uh, we are in through all the walls around us. Where else? I would say young people, because very often we all say, oh, these new generations, you know, they are not interested in politics. Why are they not interested in politics is one question. Another question is, is that statement true? And basically then we can see that the young people are basically not interested in the politics we are offering to them. And that's good news because we are not offering them anything uh, nice. We are offering a politics which is going to patronize them from the beginnings, uh, which will tell them you can't do much, but if you obey your party boss, you may get some money or whatever. So I would say uh, we need to work with ourselves to be able to see where good things are happening. And I would say it's happening. All of us are very angry, usually on education system. We are very often angry on our religious churches and other communities. But inside them, there are many extraordinary people who are doing amazing job, even in direction of reconciliation. So I would say we need uh, to, to shift from our conventional views to say goodbye to our expectations for maybe 10 years, because the world is changing. Now we live in different world. Let me not go into details, but everyone has a smartphone. Everyone has chance to speak out. That is not bad, but is not necessarily helping the processes around us. So basically, I would say peace building and reconciliations are not being done in offices. If we want to contribute to them, uh, we need to get out in our, from our offices. We need to live with people. The same uh, we lived in 93. Uh, we need to go to villages, to streets, to institutions also, instead of saying, oh, our Ministry of Justice is a bunch of corrupted uh, bandits or, or party incompetent uh, people. We need to be persistent and keep going to any uh, institutions which is relevant to us, to society. And then slowly changing. It requires patience, it requires persistence, it also requires money. Uh, and then we come to, to volunteering. Uh, volunteering is extraordinarily powerful on many ways, but also we, we need money. Is really giving money through, through projects and through grants and through donors a good way? I would say it's not. But at the moment, this is what we have. But basically, I would say, for me, it's much more valuable to have 100 coffees in villages or in place of Mitrovica with different kind of people from, from different structures. And these 100 coffees is maybe costing 50 euros altogether, rather than have 100,000 euros project. Sounds great on the paper, but after one year, nothing would be left out of that. So peace building is relationship building, really. Uh, and um, even more or, or much more with people we disagree with. And it's not easy, but it's very rewarding. I have many friends among war veterans, among all kinds of ethnicities and nations. We respect each other. It's not, not necessarily uh, love each other or our friends, but we are respecting our differences. Thank you. Thank you very much for sharing.
I'm hoping also that this can go beyond the podcasts and to also maybe have you someday in Mitrovica and in Kosovo. I like Mitrovica, sorry for interrupting you, but I, I was several times in last years. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, I feel uh, some some energy in, in towns like Mitrovica, like uh, Mostar, uh, Gornji Vakufu, Skopje in Bosnia, which are from outside, uh, well, sometimes from inside also labeled as divided towns, which uh, immediately means something bad and negative. But actually, there is lots of constructive energy I could find there, and it comes from my experience in Pakrac, of course. And whenever I come to Mitrovica, I, I meet lots of good and positive energy there. I'm not in position to do much with that energy because I stay for few days only. But uh, when I think about Mitrovica, for me, it, it, oh, it's dark place without hope. No, it's one of the places which is challenging all of us uh, and saying, uh, like, uh, are you able to do the best out of me? And I would say, yeah, we should, we should listen to that call. And I hope to come to Mitrovica soon also. Yeah, we will for sure meet each other. But for now, I will thank you a lot for sharing with us your thoughts and your experience. All the best and with all the work that you have ahead of you and all your plans. And thank you again for joining us for this Reflection Podcast. Thank you a lot uh, of giving me chance uh, to feel more connected in, in our region. And uh, let me just finish. Uh, when I come to Ukraine, I say difference between me and you is uh, that I'm doing mistakes for 27 years and you just started. So maybe similar messages also. Uh, I simply want to speak out of my mistakes. Uh, I don't like to, to make any kind of high expectations. We all can do a lot uh, for peace, and let's just uh, do it. I don't believe in mistakes. I believe that if we do something wrong, we can immediately say, sorry, I didn't mean that. And that helps us even go deeper and and make better relationships. But uh, yeah, thank you very much, and all the best to all of you uh, who listen this. Thank you, Boran. And yeah, we'll see each other or talk to each other on some other medium. Yes, yes. Okay. Bye. Bye bye. Thank you. Bye. This podcast was created with the help of Celia Duplessis and Jeremy Florent. Graphic design, Isabella Markova. Theme song, I'll go out to run now by Le Gang. Thank you for listening.